welcome to the 501 Companion Podcast, an educational and news podcast slash podcast for 501c3 charitable organizations that want to create better content, optimize their technology, and improve their marketing to better serve their mission. This is episode number 26. It's the third show of 2022. My name is Buddy Sclair. I'm the chief content officer and the host of the 501 Companion Podcast. My career has been focused on digital marketing, social media, and emerging technologies like component content systems and NFTs. I'm also a professional writer working and teaching the craft and business of making comics. But I am joined by the Chief Operating Officer at Family Promise, Sandy Minuti. She's a versatile nonprofit executive with 20 plus years of extensive experience in public relations, marketing, fundraising, and strategic planning. She's deeply committed to advancing a vibrant and healthy philanthropic marketplace in which charities have the necessary skills and resources to solve our community's most pressing issues. And of course, today, we're joined by somebody very special. Her name is Raina Alexis Latina, and she's the Association Senior Director of Marketing at the YMCA of Greater Indianapolis. Raina is an experienced Senior Director of Marketing with a demonstrated history of results. She has a strategic vision with a strong brand and project management skills, and she's well-versed in traditional and emerging marketing tactics to achieve goals. And she'll be talking with us this week about all the great things that you can do to help step up your 501c3 companion. I had it right there, guys, but let's take over. Lead us in, Sandy. This is actually your personal connection. You guys go deep and long. Why don't you introduce our guest and, and add a few things that I wasn't able to include? Well, Raina and I go way back to college at the University of Miami, where we had lots of nice, sunny, warm days, unlike where we both live now in the cold north. Um, but I'd love to hear from Raina in her own words how she wound up in the nonprofit sector. Thank you. And thank you, uh, Buddy and Sandy. I'm thrilled to be here today. Um, if you want the long, long story, uh, you know, going back to being a kid, I, I vividly remember like in middle school, you know, when they go, what do you want to be when you grow up? And at the time I thought it would be the coolest thing in the world to be a, um, movie and restaurant critic. Right. Cause I thought you could go to the cinema and you could eat out for free. Like, that's what I remember. Um, that's a idea. <laughs> <laughs> you're smart. Um, and then uh, that led me into, you know, enjoying creative writing and kind of getting involved with the school newspapers. So really then going to college, um, tracking through communication. And that's really what got me into more of the marketing end of that and really just volunteering at campus, seeing the different organizations. Um, and they were fun, right? Doing special events were fun. And through college and through grad school, really thought I would track to be more of like an event planner for a nonprofit, um, was really just kind of drawn to that community service, watched a lot of other great people at school get involved with a variety of different things, um, and through school got involved with the Chamber of Commerce down in Coral Gables, um, stayed there for a few years, um, not as an event planner, but as their communications director, um, and then really... From there, moved up to Indianapolis, working for the sorority headquarters that Sandy and I were both members of, um, had a stint with a adult daycare center here in Indianapolis, and then came to the YMCA. 
So really, it has always been a passion. Um, my whole focus has been on nonprofit. Actually, did my graduate thesis on successful special events for nonprofits. Um, so really, the marketing, the communication, fundraising, all of that is so intertwined. Um, one thing led to another. Here we are today. So. Well, that was a good journey. I mean, that's a long I like journey. The long Sorry, version. I'm like wordy. You know, that's that's being the writer, right? Like, talk too much, and <laughs> you know what? We don't want short answers. The whole point of this is to, <laughs> right. to really stretch out a little bit, and we we appreciate that. But Sandy, Karen, when I was a baby, I thought about. <laughs> <laughs> I'd be curious, um, given your experience with special events, even though you didn't go mm-hmm. deep into that realm throughout your whole career, what do you think makes a successful special event? Um, well. With events, as with marketing in general, you know, I think it starts with doing your research and knowing your organization, right? Um, knowing what do you want to achieve. Um, and with that, with a special event, you know, rule one, check the calendar, right? Um, as, as you're looking at your organization and you're looking at what you want to achieve, um, having a successful special event would be setting goals around it, right? Um is it a certain number of attendance? Is it a certain amount of most often money that you want to raise? Um, how do you plan your budgets and do, how do you offset cost versus what you're trying to raise? Um, I was just involved in a little one this weekend for the Y where our resident camp was doing a polar plunge, um, jumping in the lake. And we have a new executive. I think we didn't swim, but we got in. You got, right? But you went in. Well, I went in. I went in. Um, and, <laughs> and it was cold. Um, and they cut away the ice first. Um, but, you know, they had this executive director. It's really the first special event that they've gotten to put on pre-COVID, since COVID. Um, and they were new. They came to us right before COVID and then everything shut down. So that really changed our world. Um, but it was nice just to have people together again. Um, but for them doing this for the first year, they really had a ballpark idea of what they wanted to do for fundraising. But until they could really reach out and get participants um, and have the participants, it really was a peer-to-peer fundraising type of scenario. Um, you know, they really had no idea how to set that budget and what they wanted to attain and how much money they wanted to raise. Um, so they didn't quite meet their stretch goal, but they were really happy with the turnout and, and what did transpire from it. And so particularly for a first year event, it definitely gives that benchmark that they're going to use to grow on um, next year and to see how did their social media play out? How did, how did the timeline play out? How did the actual event day of go? Um, so that was a lot of fun. Yeah, special events are really a heavy lift for nonprofits, especially small ones. And I think your point about the goals is so important. Is it awareness or is it about money or is it about both? And how do you balance all that? And sometimes you're not going to raise a ton of money, but you're going to get that awareness. You're going to have that FaceTime with your important donors that you can cultivate those relationships for bigger gifts moving forward. But I think a big trend that we've seen in the last couple of years is um, hybrid special events where a big piece of it is online, but then there's also a way to participate in person because people want to get back to that post COVID, but they're not quite ready to sit in a ballroom with 150 of their closest friends for a couple of hours, you know? So I think that's an interesting dynamic. It sounds like this was maybe a little bit of that. It wasn't this, such a huge, this was event. a little more in person with, with needing to be present to jump in the lake, but you bring up an excellent point. Um, you know, you see that a lot with auctions now, right? Um, and one of the reasons is the technology for being able just to bid on your phone. 
Um, but it really does give people that comfort level if with COVID, they're still not comfortable being in a crowd. Um, but also just to get more people involved that perhaps couldn't buy um, some of the ticket prices that may be associated. And, and also what you said, it's a good point. A smaller organization that's doing kind of this grassroots in the backyard kind of event versus um, plenty of nonprofits that have full-fledged galas um, and fundraising events banned and catered and entertainment and guest speakers and everything else. You know, there's such a range of the scale of what that type of event can be. Yeah, we've, we've um, really taken advantage of technology in the last few years at Family Promise and we have a giving day and it's really depends on that peer to peer, which some of us are still learning how to do well. But being able to do that all online and, you know, template everything with emails and social media, make it really turnkey for your donors, for your affiliated nonprofits fundraising. It's just a very different world than when I was doing special events like, you know, 15, 20 years ago. The technology is really made it so much more efficient for, for nonprofits to reach more people. Yeah, I agree. You know, talking about the that efficiency of getting the word out, you know, I noticed that you have uh, some social media, actually not some, you have a very good social media presence. And some of the photographs of the event, people jumping into a lake, great shot, by the way, in your Twitter account. <laughs> Everybody should check that out. You know, how important are these social channels for you uh, leading up to and then documenting what you did during the event? For me, it was really important because quite honestly, where I sit in my position with the why, I'm behind the scenes a lot. Um, I'm helping our centers and we have 12 different facility locations, YMCAs, and then we have an overnight camp and then we run before and after school care at 100 schools. Um, and then we run day camps um, in a good year at up to 30 locations. Mm. Um, I'm in the background. I'm helping our centers plan. I'm giving them assets, um, doing something like being actually involved in the activity of the fundraiser, sort of put myself out there, whereas I was doing that peer-to-peer fundraising. Um, so my personal channels became a lot more important. I mean, that was everything to ask my friends for money. Um, I talk about it and I help our advancement department generate the things so that other people can ask for money. <laughs> so me actually doing that and kind of stepping back into that fundraising role, um, you know, that was a little bit out of my comfort zone in terms of what I normally do. Um, it's I, I started on social media saying, OK, y'all, it's been six years since I asked you to contribute for something because all of our friends, especially, you know, my other friends in nonprofit worlds. That's what they do all the time, right? Everybody is constantly getting um, asked in many different directions and and you want to make that hook. Um, and we originally were going to have it in January. So I honestly thought that my time frame was about 10 days when I first learned of the event because it was a small grassroots thing. Um, and I called our camp and I said, you know, here at the office, we're here to help you promote this event. Um, and then it got delayed um, further into February. So that gave me six more weeks to personally reach out and do some contacts. Um, I have another acquaintance who's doing a fundraiser for a cause that he believes in. And he works in the fundraising field. He put out on his social networks this past weekend, raising money for a domestic violence shelter. 
his stretch goal was 10 grand. And in a weekend, he's up to 15,000 already. So really that demonstrates like how important those personal networks are. And I know that's something that our fundraising team talks about every day, but having those networks and having those relationships, um, it's everything makes all the difference. You know, Raina, I, you know, you just said something that was really interesting. I'm wondering if you could just for a minute unpack what did you do during those six weeks when you, you thought for a minute there, I only had 10 days, then you had six weeks. What do you do with that time to maximize the impact of that event? So on the 10 days from a personal standpoint, I was posting every day. So I was reaching out to contacts through social media every day and, um, you know, trying to make it interesting every day. So obviously social media, you know, having the link, having a reason, having a catchy photo, being a little tongue in cheek. My personal um, social media streams are a little more sarcastic than than I would ever um, perpetrate, you know, from from our professional brand, although I am representing the why in doing this event. Um, so you always have to kind of keep that in mind and balance that. But, but generally in my own personal social media, I don't really post anything that I wouldn't be comfortable with my mom or my CEO seeing. So that's kind of my general rule anyway. Um, and if you look at my feed, it's, it's a lot of work stuff and it's a lot of dogs and food pictures. Right. So I guess in a way I am still kind of doing those restaurant reviews, (laughs) um, but I did it every day. And then when, when with the weather and with COVID, we decided to extend and, and got that timeline extension, then I did sort of reevaluate the timeline. Um, I didn't want to bombard my friends with the asks every day. And I did start spacing them out a little more. Um, but it did give me more time to really be a little more transformational in the things that I was talking about and not just make that transactional ask every day. Although that was a lot of my personal communication, but the extra time really did allow me to talk more about the value of what we were trying to do mm-hmm. um, and really help people understand because. My friends may have made donations because they knew me, but I really wanted to help them understand why I thought this cause was important and why I wanted people to get to care about our camp and what were the really good things that were happening that kind of supported our mission. And I think that's something every nonprofit, you know, we operate the same way as for-profit corporations in terms of needing to pay attention to our budget and our resources. Um, but on nonprofits, they've got some emphasis on mission or service and something really that their employees and their participants care about. Um, so really that extended time frame gives, gave me that much more time to look at that and to really kind of help um, give that messaging to people. So. And then just uh, one last follow-up on that. You know, I did see your Twitter post with an image um, when you're planning your event, are you also planning your post event and how you're going to document it uh, at the time? Is that a, is that pre-planned? Can you just talk a little bit about that strategy? I would say definitely. Um, you know, your pre, your during, your post, there should be some communication strategy around all of that and some marketing. Um, the things that are going on in the background with a fundraising scenario, um, I had some 
you know, there were emails going out to my donors. Um, the camp staff who was in charge of the event was taking care of the communication going out to everybody, you know, to the group of donors collectively, as well as to the group of participants, as well as messaging out to the community. Um, so with any event or with any marketing campaign, you know, there's that multi-channel communication that's happening and you have the variety of different assets that you'd be looking at. So. Um, this, this particular event that we're talking about, you know, it was a little smaller. It didn't have a large budget. So it really was earned media driven and word of mouth driven, um, which a lot of smaller nonprofits, that's really what they're going to be able to rely on. Um, on the flip side of that, so we're fitness facility, obviously, um, January is the biggest time of the year when people want to join a gym, right? Um, so when we're in our winter membership campaign and people join the Y, so they are members, um, but when we're in that winter membership campaign, we're pulling out all the stops with word of mouth, but with a lot of um, paid for media as well, paid for advertising. Um, so really, I think any organization kind of needs to look at all those different channels, look at that before, during and after timeline um, and really figure out how are you going to allocate all of your assets, right? Your monetary ones, um, your staff assets, your human resource assets. Um, to make that happen. So, yeah, I'd be curious to know how you make some of those decisions around social media. Like, do you have, I would assume, different strategies and different target audiences for your different social media platforms? And one thing that we've been doing at my organization is we don't post the same message on all the accounts on the same day. We try to like spread them out, even though we're going to repurpose that communication on multiple platforms. Yeah. So I don't know if you have best practices around there that you could help our listeners learn. Yeah. About. And you know, and that's, that's a great point. And we're always learning and growing in that. Right. Um, we are relatively new past decade or so really to using social media um, as a way to communicate with our audiences. Mm -hmm. So everybody knows the why as gym and swim, right? And that um, makes our board and our fundraisers kind of cringe a little when, when people say that and not realize everything else that there is that the why does that is a 501c3 that does differentiate us. Um, so really we have a team that works on all of our social media channels because for us, we have about 23 different Facebook groups um, and they are based on the facility centers because that's immediately where our members are feeling their most connectivity. Um, but then even within some of our centers, there may be a subset page of, of Rubex and cyclist enthusiasts. And there may, you know, we have a subset page for our before and after school and camp families. Um, so there's a lot of um, sort of subset targeting in some of those pages. But some of them, like our overall association page, that's a very wide audience. And because we serve so many different people and have so many different types of programs that we do, really is a little bit of everything. And we do have to kind of look at our calendar and look at what it is we're talking about and really try to balance all of that. Um, one good example that I think a lot of nonprofits might be facing right now is hiring. Um, we're a big organization. We in a good fully staffed year through the summer um, can have upwards of 3000 employees here in our association. And a lot of that are, we have about 300 full-time employees. So we are largely part-time employee driven. 
like everyone, we're hiring. And our biggest thing right now is day, day camp counselors, lifeguards to keep those summer pools open. Um, and, and when we're messaging that, so of course our human resources department is like, post these jobs, post these jobs. Our PR person is like, well, you know, social media is not really our job board full time, right? But we want to talk about those things. So it's really about balance. And I think from the biggest to the smallest nonprofits, they're feeling that as well. And if they've got a lot of other feeds happening, or if they have a lot of other topics happening in their feed, then of course you might want to post your jobs a little more. Um, but really, what is that balance and what is that volume of everything that we want to communicate? And um, it is a very fluid game and a very fluid strategy that we're really looking at every day and responding. Um, and what if you know, last week we had an ice storm and we had to close early, which we try really hard not to close facilities that people are paying to come to. Um, but you really kind of have to pivot. Then all of a sudden, all the communication became about facility notices, right? Or class cancellations, or, you know, it's not necessarily always about service or signing up for something um, or fundraising. Um, it's really balancing all of that communication. But we know that our social media channels are a great way to do that. Um, but we look at everything. We also have apps where we can do a push notification through our app. Um, we're not using text services very much just because of some of the restrictions and the opt-ins and things with that. Um, and for as large as our organization is, that becomes cost prohibitive. Um, so we like to allocate a little differently. Um, but all of those, you know, more immediate, your website, you know, for an organization, the ability to put notices up on the website, we do that. Um, and really just kind of being able to pivot in those in those circumstances um, for longer term campaigns. Obviously, we use all of the traditional methods as well. You know, we still do digital mail. We still do a plethora of print advertising, although really our digital and our radio is, you know, we have shifted a large portion of our budgets um, to those kind of venues. You know, Raina, one of the things that you said that was interesting, you've been at this social game 10 plus years. Maybe ish, right? Ish. <laughs> so can you think of a channel or a case that you thought was going to really work? And then a different case where you thought this will never work. And it did. And, and Sandy, same with you. Like, was there ever a channel where you were like, we're going to try this is going to be the best thing ever. And everybody's going to want to be on this. And then good old Twitter comes through. Either can answer. Sandy, it looks like you got one. I don't know so much a channel, so much as I learned content is really critical. So um, years back when I was at Charity Navigator, our CEO had a blog and I had a blog. I kept mine very on brand, not controversial. And we could push out messages through there, but the CEO made his very controversial, had opinions, and obviously he got way more attention. And so you have to determine like, what, it, what are you going to be communicating? And I think it's important to stick to that over time, um, more so than I think the, the particular social media platform. Mm -hmm. I don't know, Raina, you look like you maybe have a different point of view. Yeah, no, I agree. And I think um, one platform, for example, where we kind of question our brand a little, we're, we're not active on TikTok, right? Um, it's not the most immediate thing that our business needs. It's 
it would be a nice thing to do if we had enough human resources to devote to it, right? Um, but now as we're looking, particularly as we're looking to attract younger employees, we are able to employ a lot of teenagers. So particularly back in the HR attraction realm, we're looking at, well, do we message a few things out with some you know, carefully created short videos that are more appropriate to, to what we kind of call our TikTok crowd, right? Um, we have so many different segmented audiences that we know that we're not advertising our active older adult classes through TikTok. Um, but that is a channel that we really have to look at um, and look at, you know, specifically with hiring. Um, and it may, and really, you know, I think for the entire world, COVID showed all of us how important video was, right? I mean, we're having this meeting now on Zoom. Um, the week that everything shut down in March, 2020, our first response was how do we make some of these classes online? Because we weren't doing a lot of that at the time. Wow. Um, and that week, as you guys, I'm sure remember, Facebook was crashing. It was taking us six hours to upload a video that should have taken five seconds. And that was once we even had somebody, you know, setting up with their selfie phone, um, recording a class because we didn't have that library of, of video classes that we could deliver. And we weren't sure how long, you know, everybody was kind of thinking, oh, two week lockdown. Well, let's, let's get a few things up. And then it stretched and then it stretched. Um, but now we have a whole program called YMCA 360 that multiple YMCAs across the country are doing. It's a, it's a free service to all of our members. And the video content on there is so varied and so professionally done. Um, it is amazing the strides that certain organizations have taken um, to really kind of highlight that video production and really do it well. Um, to, to be that value add-on. One, if somebody can't get there, if somebody's not comfortable. But three years ago, that would have been a nice to do, but I think holistically for our organization, that wasn't the top priority on the radar. It's super important to us now to be able to, to talk with our members that way um, and to, to deliver those kind of services. So, so that is absolutely a, a whole channel and a whole strategy concept that is... Um, you know, relatively new, but it's now super important. We can't imagine not having those type of things and not continually improving on them. I'm glad you brought up about the hiring uh, issue because the great resignation doesn't just impact for-profit companies. It's hitting nonprofits hard as well, especially if you think about we tend to work longer hours sometimes and have less pay and benefits. Um, we're seeing it. Um, and I think a lot of times nonprofits don't think about how you're social media accounts can attract great candidates or persuade them to go somewhere else if you don't look like you have a professional LinkedIn page and all that. So I think that's a really important piece to bring out, not just even advertising for positions, but having that professional appearance that somebody can come check you out and see if that's a place that they want to work. Absolutely. Absolutely. And just having those things, we did revamp our job page on our website and just making sure can people find what they're looking for? Um, so for a smaller nonprofit, that may be easier. You know, when I, when I worked at the Chamber of Commerce in Coral Gables, we had a dozen people on staff. That is a whole different type of communication than here. Um, for example, just with our lifeguards and our summer camp counselors, we're looking to potentially hire up to 700 slots to, wow. to accurately staff our summer. Um, 
that may only be three or four different types of positions, but that is a huge arsenal of people that, that we want to attract. And, you know, people who work for us are responsible for children or for, you know, we provide training things, but, but it's not only attracting people, but then hiring the right people that you want for those jobs that you want to have working for you and, and having those responsibilities. Um, it is huge. It's, it's a big challenge. And I suspect, you know, just driving down the street and all the hiring signs that you see everywhere, um, everyone's hiring. So what differentiates you? Um, can you attract people with the mission? Can you attract people with, um, some of the benefits that, that we certainly try to augment those as well, when perhaps that paycheck isn't as much as it could be someplace else. Um, And especially for seasonal work, that's, that's different for people also. So. Raina, how do you share the mission? You know, if you can't be the top salary, how do you share that mission to tap into that, that inner motivation that, that many people have? Mm-hmm. I think for us, and I think any nonprofit could tap on for us, it really goes back to our brand. And who do we say we are and who do we want to be? And then does that match up with who people think we are? Um, but for the why, our overall brand platform is strengthening foundations of community. Um, and for us, there's three major focus areas that we look at. Youth development, healthy living, and social responsibility, which means anything that we do should fit into one of those three pillars of focus. Um, and, you know, the brand is way more than just visual identity. It's how do we speak? How do we act? How are we representing the why? Um, And for us, it's very much about being there for everyone, focusing a lot on diversity and inclusion, um, really doing that not only through racial equity, um, but doing that through financial assistance um, to people. Our service area is so large. We serve some very different communities. Um, we have some very affluent neighborhoods and we have some very struggling neighborhoods where we are delivering programs and services. And those price tags can't be the same for those people, right? Um, the, the price tags perhaps on the surface are the same, but we have that's where our funders and our donors and our grants come back into place so that we can get into our neighborhoods and deliver these services. Um, lost my train of thought a little, but just really making sure, you know, with our brand, are, are we doing what we say? So for example, to an organization, if we say that diversity and inclusivity is important to us, are we f- reflecting that in the places where we're actually holding programs? Are we reflecting that in our ads and our photography? Are we being genuine and doing that in the language that we use and the copywriting that we use? Um, are we doing that with our hiring practices? Are we doing that behind the scenes with the vendors that we work with? So that is all part of that overall sort of web of marketing and inclusion and, you know, sort of doing what we say we want to be, you know, are we really following through with that on all those different levels? Um, So I would think you must have a really robust style guide that covers all those tone and not just the visual pieces. Was that in place when you got to the Y or did you? No, that's not all over time. (laughs) So one of the interesting things with our organization is um, so I started here in 2008 or nine. Um, in 2010, so we are the YMCA Greater Indianapolis, and we have 
separate facilities under our association umbrella, but then we are under the overall umbrella of the YUSA. Um, so we really kind of operate like a very loose federation or franchise is not quite the right word because we are more connected than that. Um, but in 2010, nationally, all of the YMCA's underwent a huge brand revitalization. And that involved everything, the way we speak, how we identify our um, our purpose and our mission, how, you know, all the visual things like the logos and the colors and the fonts. Um, so definitely, you know, as the brand police for my organization, um, I know all those rules and, and, you know, I joke, I hand out red pen Sharpies to our team, right? Because, um, that's what's going to happen. Um, but it's more than that. It's, it's, you know, then really, how do you write and how do you express we, we operate with core values, caring, honesty, respect, responsibility. How are you treating your coworkers? How are you treating your members? How are you treating people that aren't members? Um, you know, there's, there's voice characteristics that we use being genuine, being welcoming, being nurturing. Um, so a lot of that and that heavy, heavy lifting did really come from our national organization. Um, but we were part of some of their pre-planning and got in really on the ground floor. And when you do an overhaul like that, especially nationally, they gave all of the wise five years to really get into it and adopt all the changes it involved. Tons of changing all the signage, changing anything that had a logo on it, changing, you know, and some of that is very expensive for organizations. So there were five years to kind of um, really implement all of that. But now we're more than 10 years into it. So they are pretty good about updating the brand standards when things change. Um, We know how to take our photography to promote, you know, that right kind of look and feel. and, and it really helped also just unify all of the whys because there were so many different things going on with colors and fonts and this and that. And we have, now we have one font we deal with and we have one font that is um, allowed digitally, right? So really we have two fonts that we play with um, and nothing else. If I had my way, I would have our IT department like take all those other fonts off everybody's computers <laughs> so that signage could... But what that really does is it presented it helped force consistency across the country. And for the why we really talk about being the movement of the YMCA and being that one voice. And I think even to a standalone nonprofit, you know, that consistency of who they are and how they express themselves is, is paramount. Um, because if you're using 20 different fonts on a page or, you know, talking very sarcastically one day and talking very, um, softly the next day and you don't have that organizational identity, it really is harder for people to connect with you. Um, you know, with, I, I like to follow things like Wendy's on Twitter, right? Like they are famous for having those sarcastic quick comebacks. And, and maybe that kind of voice is not for everyone, but they know who their voice is and they built their whole brand and, and a whole subset of fans around um being true to what they've defined there. Yeah, I think it's important to put it down on paper and there's templates on the internet that smaller nonprofits can download and do this work. And Mm -hmm. there's even tools that you can make sure it's DEIA appropriate so that people with visual impairments can Mm -hmm. see those two colors next to each other. Um, So it's really, it's really can be pretty easy for nonprofits to do. And I think it, 
it's just super important, like you said, that you're maintaining that voice. And if there's a new person in communications or a new director, you can hand that to them and they know right away where to start. And we we went through something similar at Family Promise. We're also a federated organization. We changed our name 12 years ago, and I still have a few affiliates that haven't adopted the new name, but we... Um, we rolled out new branding in um, 2018 and we gave everybody two years, but we provided everything. Like you said, we have the style guide. We gave everybody their logos and all that. Um, but it still, it still takes time to get people to adopt the new language and tone. And yeah. Yeah. And, and then people will, you know, and then they'll fall back into their old habits as well. And that's, you know, when I'm ready, this one isn't red, but then I'm ready with my, you know, my, we call it red penning, right? Um, and it stresses people out. And I said, you know, and that's also part of what we do, you know, don't let it stress you out. You don't know the rule that you don't know. And it's just practice and, and getting used to that. Um, yeah, you guys did it quickly in two years. That's impressive. Well, it's still a work in progress. <laughs> it's <laughs> always a work in progress. Always fluid. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. We're still working on websites and stuff. We were able to create a really discounted template through Wix, um, but still just getting a lot of the nonprofits in our um, federated model are pretty small. And so they don't have dedicated staff working on communications. And so they're relying on volunteers to kind of get the template set up. So it's Mm -hmm. been a slow rollout in some of these areas, but um, you know, providing them the materials makes it a lot easier. Um, and with things like Canva now, it's really easy for standalone nonprofits to do these kind of things on their own. And you can easily get a graphic designer to update your logo and all those things. It's really important. And like you said, consistency uh-huh. is key. Well, and that's, you know, you brought up Wendy's. If you go into Wendy's, you know what kind of experience you're going to have, whether or not you do it here in the U.S. or abroad. That's the experience. And I think what you had said, Raina, was, was, you know, here are your logos. You didn't make it hard for them to do it. You made every bit as easy as possible to adopt. You still have people who don't fully adopt, but that's why you have the red pen. Mm-hmm. And it's hard. You know, it's I think one of the things that we experienced, it's hard for people to change. And an organization is like we have a hundred and almost 70 year history here in Indianapolis. Um, we have a lot of people who have had their entire careers within this organization and, and started as, you know, maybe teenagers or right out of college and, and worked their way all the way up um, through, through all of the ranks. And there's so many different things you can do. Um, but it's hard when you're in a habit of just kind of doing what you want. And then somebody comes in, you know, I, I use the term uh, logo cop. A little bit jokingly, but but a little bit strictly also like I'm that person that will come in and say, that's really not what, as an example, we, we have signage, please deposit your dirty towels here. But that's not something you put the logo on, right? Like respect the logo, respect the brand, but but make that sign in the right font, by the way. <laughs> so, um, you know, how, how do we communicate when is it appropriate and, and what are we representing all the time? Like, don't put the logo on the trash can. <laughs> that that uh, that should be a, that should be a, a bumper sticker. Don't put the logo on the trash can. <laughs> it might. I have one above my head that you can't see that says "Respect <laughs> the Brand." That that was not from our organization. It came from elsewhere. But 
but I like that. I, I may make bumper stickers for our team. I feel like that's a hashtag or a blog. It, it's got to be something. It's catchy. Don't something put the logo like on the trash can. I'm yeah. pretty sure that's the title of this episode, Raina. <laughs> Go copyright that right now, Sandy. <laughs> put it up. Hey, Sandy, we're, we're starting to run low on time. Do you have any other questions that you'd like to, to get in with uh, Raina? What would be like the top five things you would tell a nonprofit they should think about within the world of communications, branding? Top five. I mean, well, when you say five, it makes me think back really old school, like, like five, the five P's of marketing, right? Product, place, price, promotion, people. There's five really quickly. And if you take the time to really look at all of that and then think about your research and think about your goals and then think about the channels of communication that you have available to you. Um, not every channel works all the time, right? Um, but you have a big long list and you just consider in this instance, are we going to do direct mail? Maybe, maybe not. Are we going to do social media? Probably. How often? What does that calendar look like? Um, what are we doing paid versus earned? And really just taking the time to evaluate and, and that everything is flexible. If, you know, through the course, as you're reviewing um, and assessing, go back and reevaluate. And then the plan's always fluid. Um, same thing, like if you notice, if you notice a typo on the website, get in there and change it, right? Um, fix it and make it fluid and then move on and just keep growing from that and just keep looking at, at where you are, where you've come, where you want to be um, and, and not stress about it because I think marketers and nonprofits, really any um, employee in a nonprofit, it's really easy to get overwhelmed. People wear a lot of different hats. Um, but at the end of the day, we have a mission and, and people are doing good things and making other people feel good. Um, that is so unique and so special to the nonprofit world. Um, like feel good about that and, and, you know, hair on fire. But, but at the end of the day, just breathe and like enjoy and know that you're doing something good. And I think that just brings a lot of purpose um, and, and revel in that when the, when the times get hard. So. I love how you were able to quickly take structured thinking, like the five P's of marketing. And I think, <laughs> I, well, I think that's the thing, you know, you, you really, you were able to bring the structured answer and how you do it. And I think that that's, uh, th that shows how you can bring your background mm -hmm. and your passions into your organization. And I th think that's a great answer. Thank you. Thank you. So as we roll out, um, Raina, where can people find your charitable organization? And then I'm going to be asking where they can find you if they want to follow your snarky Twitter account or something. <laughs> Absolutely. Not too snarky. Um, on Twitter, I'm Raina Lex, R-A-E-N-A-L-E-X. Um, same thing on LinkedIn. Um, and we are the YMCA of Greater Indianapolis. So our website is IND ymca.org and that honestly is a hard thing again think about marketing and is this good or bad but when we bought the url there's not two y's in the middle it's not indie ymca so we have to kind of say it weird when we say the url ind ymca.org <laughs> um and uh same thing on on social media on facebook um so facebook instagram twitter linkedin all of it all the same <laughs> and maybe tiktok coming soon Maybe TikTok coming soon, but I will be behind the camera or hiring somebody else to be behind the camera as 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 we rent. I'm I'm a little too introverted for that, so uh, yeah. 
Well, that sounds good. And Sandy, uh, where can they find your organization? And similarly, where can they find you? So uh, familypromise.org, you can find my organization and all of our affiliates are linked from that website. And uh, I forget my Twitter handle again. Sandra Manuti, I think it is just that. Don't you worry. We will include it in the <laughs> show you. notes with all the other important... Uh, By these days, I'll remember it. <laughs> that's okay. That's okay. And you can find us uh, at the 501c3lookup.org website that rolls off the tongue as easily as Indie YMCA. <laughs> Uh, You can find me uh, in all places, mostly on Twitter and at my website at Buddy Scalera. We hope you enjoyed the 501 Companion Podcast and consider subscribing so you never miss an episode. If you have any questions, show ideas, or part of a charitable organization that wants to be on the show, visit the 501c3lookup.org website. You'll find our contact information and a complete list of our previous episodes. And of course, the extensive and free resources of the 501c3lookup.org website. Thank you for joining us on the 501 Companion Podcast. We hope you join us again next week for the information and inspiration to take your charitable mission to the next level. And we're out.